It's good to sing together, isn't it? Good to have our hearts and our affections turned back to Jesus. Well, this morning, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. I know what you're thinking. Genesis? We've been in Colossians, haven't we? And yes, yes, we've been going through this series in Colossians that we've entitled Christ Exalted Over All. And as we look at what would be next in Colossians, let me just read what would be next. Colossians 3, you don't need to turn there. Colossians 3, 18 and 19 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. As I ponder this next section of scripture, it goes on to talk about parenting. It talks about the working life. I thought, you know, I don't want to just rush through this and just kind of try to hit parenting and marriage and the workplace all in one sermon. Otherwise, we might be here all day. And so I've decided to, to pause here, to focus on what the scriptures are saying there about marriage. But we're going to take the next two weeks, actually, and talk about marriage. After that, then we'll get into just talking about parenting, and then we'll talk about the workplace the week after that. But as I look at the world and I see what the world has done to marriage, hasn't it just kind of thrown it to the wayside? It's been dragged through the mud. It's been thought of as like, well, if you want to get married, you can. If you want to just play marriage and not get married, you can. And so I just feel like it's appropriate. And lo and behold, happy Valentine's Day. What, a, what are the chances that Valentine's Day lands on when we're going to talk about marriage? That's God's grace as we're all hopefully a little bit more tuned to our spouses than maybe normal. Uh, but we need to understand what God says about marriage. We need to understand that God looks at marriage very seriously, very different than the world. And we need to, we need to take a look. And, and here's, here's what I know is true in this room right now. There are many of you now that just found out that we're talking about marriage and you're like, oh, great. I want out right now. Because the reality is some of you have been hurt. You've been in a marriage that was not good and that's ended. Some of you are maybe in a marriage that you're struggling to be in and, and things are hard. Some of you have experienced like the negative side of marriage. And so you've been impacted by the marriages that you've seen around you. Maybe your parents had a very rocky road and made life very challenging. And you look at marriage as this thing, like, this is not good. And so maybe you're thinking, I want to jet out the door. And maybe some of you are longing to be married. And it's just not, it just hasn't happened yet for you. Let me just say, be slow to leave. Be slow to run. Let's lean into what God has for us this morning, what, the way God sees marriage. Because whether or not you ever get married, whether or not you are in a marriage that is fruitful or not, whether or not you've, been, had, had, you've had your marriage broken, we can all come to a place where we see the importance of it. And we can go to the Father on behalf of our own marriages and on behalf of the marriages of those around us. And so let me pray as we dive into this serious, important topic of marriage.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your timing is perfect. (laughs) Who would have thought back in the fall when we started Colossians that we would start marriage on this day, on Valentine's Day. Lord, I thank you for how you work. Lord, this is a very serious topic that the world has destroyed. The world has lost sight of the beautiful thing that marriage is. And so, Lord, as we dive in this morning, would you help those especially who are struggling when it comes to the topic of marriage. Lord, that they would not bail today, they would not tune out, that next week they wouldn't stay home, but rather they would engage with this series on marriage, this talk on marriage, God, that you would penetrate our hearts and teach us what we need to know. Lord, thank you that you're with us. Thank you for your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're looking for practicality of marriage, we're not going to hit that this week. That's going to be next week. We're going to talk about the roles of husbands and the roles of wife next week. But I think the more important place to start is we need to understand what is marriage. What is marriage? And so we're going to be looking at several different texts. No need to frantically write these down. We're going to go through each of these passages on the screen uh, separately. But we need to come to understand what is the meaning of marriage. And the first place we're going to start is in Genesis 2. So you should be opening up there right now. Uh, Follow along with me as I start reading in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we're going to talk about ten facts. I know what you're thinking. Ten. <laughs> I'll try to move through these as quickly as we can. But I just, couldn't li- I just couldn't limit it down. I think these are ten important facts that God gives us about what marriage is all about. The first thing is this. Marriage was initiated by God. Marriage was initiated by God. God, look again at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So since the beginning of time, when God started making creation, he had in mind that he would make marriage. He had marriage in mind. Now, we we should not look at this and think that, like God is just kind of, you know, on the flow, just kind of, you know, like it's not like an artist that draws, okay, what should I add next? 
Like, God doesn't think the way we do. God has all things in place in his mind before he takes before he starts creating. And so he makes Adam, and it's not as if he's like, huh, something's not right here. Hmm, what is it? Ah, I got it. No, God had marriage in mind from the very beginning. It was initiated by him. And as we even look at the relationship that God has with one another, we, we realize very quickly that we were not meant to be alone. Whether we are married or not, we, we weren't meant to be alone. You look at even the Godhead. Now, this is something that I don't fully understand, and nobody fully does, and no matter how many illustrations we have to try to describe the Trinity, we can't fully understand the Trinity. But there are three persons in one God. Look at Genesis one twenty six real quick. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man. Us. But there's only one God. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You see, the God even cooperates within relationship with the Trinity. Again, mysteries we don't understand. Three persons, one God, but there is this sense of unity which is to be reflected in marriage. God intended marriage from the beginning. And man is made in God's image, correct? Do we agree on that? If we're made in, in God's image, therefore we are created to be in unity, to be in fellowship with others. And marriage is one big way that we can unite together. It was created by God. And if that's true, what are the ramifications of it? If it is true that God created marriage, then what do we take away from that? Well, we take away that anything that God says about marriage is absolutely true. And we hold to what Scripture teaches about it. We don't decide who we can marry. We don't decide how long we want to stay married. We shouldn't be deciding what marriage is. God has defined it. God has given us Scripture. We look at Scripture as our ultimate authority. God has created marriage. Therefore, we are called to hold to the principles that God has given us concerning marriage. And so the first thing that we must understand, because that does lay the, the groundwork, doesn't it? When we understand that God creates marriage and therefore he tells us what marriage is, we have no say in defining it. He's already defined it for us. Marriage was initiated by God. Here's the second thing. Marriage is for companionship. Marriage is for companionship. Verse 18 goes on to say, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of 
man. Marriage is for companionship. And so what we see here is that, is that God created these animals and brings them before Adam to name. So they're going before him. Adam's giving them names. And what he's realizing is like, none of these things are like me. None of these things match up. None of these things fit my needs and what I need. And so men, contrary to popular belief, dogs are not man's best friend. And so God knows that it's not good for man to be alone. This is the first negative thing we see in Scripture here, by the way. The first negative thing is that it's not good for man to be alone. And so let's just put marriage aside completely here for just a second here. Whether or not you're married is not the issue, but we are called to live in community. We need one another. We need companionship. And one of the best ways of companionship happens in marriage. And so what happens is that Adam, like, where's, where's somebody like me? I, I, I want this kind of fellowship I can have. I, it's very limited with these animals. And so God lays Adam down. He takes the rib out of his side. Now, guys, this is not the opportunity for you to look at your wife and say, look, you are a pain in my side, right? None of those kind of jokes, not acceptable. And he makes this woman, and he looks at her and says, whoa, man. I'm sure that's not how it happened, but I'm sure, I'm sure there was like, wow. I'm sure Adam was like, this is amazing. This is what I'm talking about. And he is amazed at what he sees. You see, marriage is meant for companionship. It's meant for friendship. True or false? Is this world not a a train wreck? Is life on a daily basis not hard? It's challenging. And we need somebody to go through life together. And marriage is one way that we can do that. Marriage is meant for you to be, to have this friend that you're with all the time. This person who you love, who you love to be with. And, you know, for so many people, like, that fades. But we need to remember that, first and foremost, we're part of the process of marriage is that we're friends. So what, what does your relationship look like? Is, do you look at your spouse as a friend, as a partner in crime, as you might say, as somebody who you love doing life with? Maybe your takeaway from today is realize, you know what, like, I feel like we've missed the boat on companionship. I feel like, you know, my suggestion for you is like find a date. Get, go on a date. If you have kids, talk to us. Find somebody to watch your kids. Take your spouse out. Go on a date. Rekindle this friendship. Life is too hard for you to be fighting with one another when it's all the stuff going out in this world. Marriage is for companionship. You know, I didn't get married so that I would have somebody to wash my dishes, someone to cook for me, someone to make my life better. That's not, that's missing the point. I, I married Nikki because she's a friend. She's a fellow believer who can help point me back to Christ. She's a friend more than she is there to meet my needs that I need. She's there to help point me back to Christ. Marriage is for companionship. Here's the third thing we see. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Verse 23. 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so Adam, when he sees this beautiful creation, is like, yes. And he breaks out in this poem. And the, the Hebrew words for woman and man are very similar. They're different, but they're similar. And we see here that God uniquely creates Eve for Adam. Notice there's no animal that was suitable. There was no helper found that was suitable for Adam. And so God makes, notice, a woman. Adam isn't given another man. Adam isn't given multiple women. God uniquely created marriage to be between a man and a woman. And sadly, our world has spun out of control with this, and who knows where it's going to go. It seems like, don't want to get into that. And it, the, the way, the way what, as you look all throughout Scripture, we see this understanding, don't we? Whenever marriage is mentioned, it's always between a man and a woman, isn't it? All throughout scriptures, any command that's given of how a, a, a spouse is, is supposed to treat another spouse is between a man and a woman. There is a general understanding of those who are reading scripture that marriage is one way. It's between a man and a woman only. Consider even what Romans 1, 26 through 27 has to say. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the man likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And people have lots of excuses when they look at scripture to try to justify relationships that happen. Marriages that happen between man and a man and a woman and a woman. But the only negative thing you see about marriage is when it's outside of the context of a man and a woman. Now, here's the thing where the church gets wrong, though. When, when we find people who are in these relationships are struggling with same-sex attraction, we want to bring the pitchforks and we want to bury these people. And sadly, that is not what Christ would do at all. Christ does not approve that action, but he also understands that he meets us where we're at. We can't be a church that tries to demonize homosexual sin when there's heterosexual sin that's running rampant in our country. We don't allow any of that to go, but we receive people where they're at, and we graciously call them out for their sin and help point them back to Christ. And if you are struggling with same-sex attraction, we want you to be here. We want to love you. We want to help you through that. Because here's the reality. We are all broken sexually. All of us are. So this is not to highlight one sin is greater than another sexual sin. All sexual sin is wrong. But what we must understand is marriage is between a man and a woman. God is the one who calls that. You know, as a culture, you know, we say we value science, but do we really? Like, do we really value science? I mean, just look at the way the human body works. 
the only, so one of the major ways that God is, we're not even going to talk about this, but one of the major ways God's created marriage is for us to procreate, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That can only happen in the context of a man and a woman being together. It can't happen any other way. And so science would show you, look, this is the way it works, and yet we want to redefine science. We're we're not anti-science. I hope you understand that God created science. Here's the problem. People take science, and they come up with their own theories about it. So we're all looking at the same facts, but we just take different things away from it. God is a God of order. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Here's the next one. Marriage is for unity. Marriage is for unity. Look at verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So there's a unique thing that happens with marriage. There's a distinct detachment that takes place. The man and the woman who were under the authority of their parents now have left their mom and dad and they have been united to one another. They have detached from mom and dad and now they are doing life together as one flesh. We, as husband and wife, we need to make sure that we understand we don't run to mom and dad whenever things get rough and and, and, and share how messed up our spouse is or try to live under their authority. We, we've left that life. It doesn't mean we stop having a relationship. But the most important relationship, once you get married, is the relationship with your spouse. Your, everything else is secondary. And if we put the relationship with our parents ahead of our relationship with our spouse, things don't go well, do they? Marriage is for unity. It's for couples to come together. And and in this world, there's such a a struggle. The Hebrew word for this means that we cling together. Maybe Maybe your scripture says cleave. Leave your father and mother and cleave. Be fastened to it. And we struggle because we live in a culture where we value individualism more than anything else. And so we don't want to lose our identity. What if you get married and lose your identity? Well, what's your identity? Like, you need your own personal identity for yourself? The scriptures are very clear. You leave your life that you had, and you are becoming one flesh, not two individuals who are doing life together in the same house. You become one flesh. You become one. That means me time is a thing of the past. Now, I think it's appropriate that you... Have some time to yourself. I'm not saying that we eliminate that altogether, but like we don't, we no longer call the shots on our own. Like, hey, honey, just so you know, like I have, I give you, I give you two days a week. Uh, the the other five are me time. <laughs> and yet, how many people do you know who do that? Like, they don't give up their life. And so, I know guys who are playing softball three, four, five times a week, and they're neglecting their spouse because they think, well, they should get married, and life still just kind of goes as normal. No. There's a drastic difference that happens when you get married. You have become one flesh. That means you are making decisions together. And far too often, we'll get into this next week, we, men take scriptures like, hey, you're supposed to submit to me, honey. Submission is not the brain loses her thoughts and her feelings of what should be done in a marriage 
It doesn't mean that the woman has absolutely no say in what happens in the family. What it means is that, hey, guess what? Wife, let your, let your husband be accountable to God. <laughs> There's far more that it says about the man and his relationship with the Lord than it is about the woman submitting to the man. We'll get to that next week. This leaving and cleaving means you have become one. You're making decisions together now. You don't get to decide what you want to do on your own, and the spouse just has to cope through with it. No, you are doing it together now because you become one flesh. Me time is over. And, and I would just give one warning, and there could be different opinions, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this is an ultimate thing, but like I think one thing that's dangerous is we, have, we decide to have separate check, checking accounts, bank accounts. Because then all of a sudden it becomes, this is my money, that's your money. You can do what you want, I'm going to do what I want. I'm not saying if you do that, that you're in the wrong. But what I'm saying is like, is that fully leaving your family and cleaving and becoming one flesh? Marriage is for unity. Now, if you are unmarried... This, this is a scripture that I'd want you to think about when it comes to unity. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You know, if, if we do find ourselves in a marriage where we are unequally yoked, God would say stay in that marriage, but if you are not yet married, can I warn you, if you are longing for that, the worst thing you can do is just look to marry anybody. The scriptures call for us not to be unequally yoked. Don't marry somebody who doesn't love Jesus like you do. Don't get caught up with, well, we love the same things. Uh, we both love Notre Dame football, or we both love Marvel movies. <laughs> or what not. We can get caught up in those things. Well, we have such good chemistry. If you don't unite in the most important thing, you are setting yourself up for failure. We have family friends who, when they started dating somebody, Nikki warned her not to do this. Oh, we're just, we're just hanging out. We're just, just getting to know each other. And often what happens, your heart gets caught up, and she ended up marrying this guy, and it was a train wreck, and they got divorced very soon after. Do not be unequally yoked. Jesus is the most important thing, is he not? Christ is to be exalted over all things. And we're not going to have a unifying marriage if we are looking to marry somebody who doesn't have the most important thing in common. Marriage is for unity. How unified are you guys as a couple? What do you need to do on, to work on that unity? And really, this all leads into the next thing that also helps unify a marriage. The next point is this. Marriage is for sexual expression. Marriage is for sexual ex expression. We see there in verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God created marriage between man and a woman. 
God created sex to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. It's a beautiful thing that God made. And marriage is to be a place where that is expressed, that's enjoyed, that we enjoy one another physically. God called us to be fruitful and to multiply, have lots of kids and enjoy the process. Like that's what, this, that's what it's saying here. Why else do we have the book of Song of Solomon in the Bible? Single people, I'd encourage you, maybe stay away from that. But if you're married, go read that together tonight. And some people will try to like over-spiritualize it. <laughs> okay. You look at that and you see that God has created us to be in the context of marriage to express ourselves sexually. It's meant to be something to enjoy, but yet we live in this sexualized world, right, where we have made marriage to be something, or we've made sex to be something to be, to be selfish. It's just for you. Like it's for you to enjoy, and you're going to get whatever you want to. But God says the only reason, the only way for this, and it's for our good, is to be in the context of marriage. I'm sure for those of you who have failed morally in this, you wouldn't come up and say, it was great. I'm so glad I did that. There's baggage that comes with that. And God is not trying to restrict us. Rather, he's trying to protect you. And we must be careful because it's become so commercialized that you can't even watch commercials or halftime shows with your kids anymore without being bombarded by it. And we have this computer that we carry around with us that gives us an image in the snap of our fingers. Yet that's not the way God created it. He created it to be in the context between a man and a woman. And if you don't have a healthy sex life and you're married, chances are you probably don't have a good marriage unless there's some physical reasons for it. And so the question would I be is, how are you doing as a couple in this area? Is this something that you are pursuing oneness together? It really does draw you together. And every time you click on an image and you start pursuing images or you're reading those romance novels, it is drawing your heart away from your spouse. It is taking your mind somewhere else than rather toward the one that you married. It naturally does that. When we allow that kind of sin to infiltrate, and it affects our marriage. God gave us, like, look at even how the way God wired men. Men are like, could be thinking about nothing, and then all of a sudden the thought comes in their mind, right? Like, I wasn't thinking about that. And the wife could, like, could go days sometimes without thinking about it. But yet, I think God's wired men in order that we would pursue our wives more. It's, it's a beautiful thing that God has done. And when we allow images to infiltrate our minds, it pulls us away from the thing that God created to be beautiful. Now, we must be careful here. Because we can abuse that and forced sex is never okay, even in marriage. And so that leads us really to our next point. Our next point is this. Marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is to be honored by all. God has given us sex 
in marriage, in the context between a man and a woman. But we must honor that. And it's to be honored by all. Hebrews 13.4 says this. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Marriage is God created. Therefore, everyone should honor it. There are no exceptions here. Even if you've had a bad experience, what God is saying is like, don't let your experience hinder your thinking and understanding. This is God created. Man has taken what God has created and abused it, but that doesn't take away the truth of what God has said about it. And so for some of you, you've been burned, and maybe you find yourself divorced, and, and if I were to sit down with you, I would mourn with you. My prayer for you is that you would not let that experience minimize the, important, the importance of marriage. And anytime we allow those images or those romance novels or emotional affairs, pornography, that is dishonoring the marriage bed. And it's going to impact your marriage whether you think it does or not. And you can find yourself drifting away. And, and I think an unhealthy sex life leads to an unhealthy marriage every time. But here's the thing. We, as husbands and wives, we can also use this as weapons against one another. Well, I'm not letting you, I'm not doing anything with you. Why would I do that, the way you treat me? And we can use it as a weapon. Look at, though, what 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 has to say. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Again, we have to be careful here. There's never, it's never okay for forced sex, even in marriage. It's not okay. Ever. But God created marriage to be a place where we can enjoy one another physically. Your body is not your own. And scripture is clear here. The reason why you need to be together physically is that you will be led into temptation if you don't. He's created us in such a way to be drawn to one another in that area. Honor marriage. Here's the next point. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. Turn with me now. You can stay out of Genesis. We're going to move to Matthew. Look at Matthew 19 with me. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. Now listen, when we, again, when we talk, what we're talking about here is this, these things are God's best. We live in a broken world. If you are divorced, there is no, sh we're not here to heap shame on you, but it is important for us to understand God's best for us. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. Matthew 19, verse, starting at verse 5. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's what we just read in Genesis, isn't it? Verse 7 says this. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The reason why God allowed it is because of the hardness of heart. But the truth is God intends marriage to be for a lifetime. That we, when we make that vow, we're not committing till death to us parts or, or I just feel like I don't love you anymore. That's not reason to divorce. God intends this for a lifetime. We'll get into further uh, discussion of this in a little bit here of the reflection of the gospel in marriage. But when we make this kind of vow to one another, but it's based on how, you, how as long as you're beneficial to me, as long as you are improving my life, we'll stay into this. That's the way the world treats marriage. Like, how long do you think this marriage is going to last? Well, I don't know, but we'll do our best. No. Like, we're committing to this for a lifetime. This is what God has called us to do. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. And again, if you have been divorced, there's, you're not lost. But those of you who are in your marriage, you should look to stay in it. Those of you who are looking to get married someday, you're making a lifetime commitment. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. Here's fact number seven. Marriage is not for everyone. Marriage is not for everyone. Finally, some of you are like, okay. Marriage is not for everyone. It's not ultimate. Look at verse 10 of Matthew 19. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Marriage is a gift, but marriage is not for everyone. Therefore, marriage is not ultimate. Marriage doesn't make us a whole person. I think that's one reason why marriages struggle is because they're looking for that person to complete them. There's only one person who can complete us. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus completes us. You're not lacking if you're not married. You're not missing out if you're not married somehow. You're not less of a person. You don't need that in order to complete you. That's why I don't love the term soulmate. I have one soulmate. It's Jesus. <laughs> I love my wife. She's my favorite person on this whole planet. But she doesn't compare to Christ. Marriage is not for everyone. It's hard work, isn't it? And sometimes what happens is we get this beautiful picture that marriage is easy and you just kind of, you know, like live happily ever after. Now, to a certain degree, like I would not change. I would stay married for sure, 100%. Easy. But don't get caught up to think that it's, it's easy. Here's the thing. I have five kids now. Married, five kids. That's six other people that take my attention away from Christ. Rightfully so. Scripture says that. Like, your attention is drawn to other people. If you're single, you can spend all of your attention on to Jesus and focusing on him, focusing on the kingdom as it says here. 
Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, it's easy for you to be single. That's what happens, right? Like, I've, I've seen these conversations like, well, don't want to be married. It's, it's pretty hard work. You should enjoy your single life. And I, I don't think that's completely fair. Uh, but we, what I do want to communicate is that marriage doesn't complete a person. You're not less of a person because you're single. And here's what I would say to you, too. I think the church sometimes focuses on marriages more than those who are single. And I would just say, man, if you have input on that, if you have thoughts, you're single, and you're like, I feel left out, would you come talk to me? Like, seriously? Like, help me process that. Help me think through that I'm not just so consumed with marriage that I forget that, like, there's singles in our congregation. And I love having all different kinds of people. Like my favorite small groups have been those that are a mix of ages, married, single, college age, elderly. We're all created differently. There's a capacity that each of us have that's different from one another. There's things that we learn. Uh, there's things that you're observing as a single person that we as married people just don't see. And it's not good. Like you need to help us. And so we are all in this together. Marriage is not for Everyone. And then here's the eight, uh, number eight, or I don't know where we're at. Here's the next one. <laughs> marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. I think this is number nine. We got two more here. This is it. This one and one more. And they all tie in together. And so turn with me to Ephesians 5 right now. So you can leave Matthew. We're going to look at Ephesians 5 here briefly. And then we'll close out. Ephesians 5, marriage is a picture of the gospel. Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. So marriage is a picture of the gospel. Follow along with me. I'll start reading Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ, that marriage is a picture of the gospel. We see here the call for the husband to love his wife the way Christ loves the church and gave himself up. Nothing, no other earthly picture is greater to the world of the gospel than marriage. And I would say the world is desperate to see marriages that reflect this kind of love, that reflect the love that Christ has for the church. That means there will be multiple opportunities for forgiveness, won't there? Sometimes big opportunities for forgiveness, but many, many, many little opportunities for forgiveness. And that's the way Jesus approached us, doesn't he? This isn't just for the husband to forgive. We're all called to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And when we see marriages that work, nothing portrays Jesus more than couples who have stayed in it with the long haul. Like, it's amazing, right? How long have you been married? Five years. Wow, how did you make it five years? Like, that's kind of the culture that we've gone through. And if you've made it 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you are the abnormal one. 
Keep at it. Love like Jesus. Realize that your marriage is a picture to the world of the gospel. And so you have to ask yourself, what kind of picture are you portraying for the world? What kind of picture are you portraying to your kids? Are you, are you couples that just kind of bounce off one another? You're fighting all the time. You can't get along. Or are you one that's built on the reality of what Jesus has done for you? And you can't help but love your spouse because how could you hold anything against her in light of all of your sins you've committed against Jesus? And yet he paid the price. I mean, look at Jesus. How many of you, if you were hanging on a cross for somebody else's sins and people are staring at you mocking, how many of you would look down and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing? Further in Ephesians chapter 6, we see the battle is not against flesh and blood. Do you realize your spouse is not your greatest enemy? And yet, even in the church, divorce rate is still the same. Do you look at your spouse as your enemy or do you look at your spouse as your companion to help you through this world? It's meant to be a picture of the gospel. And ultimately, here's the last point. Marriage is for God's glory. If marriage is a picture of the gospel, marriage is for God's glory. Marriage is not for you. Do you understand that? Marriage is not just for you as if, like you, like, you are to be served, and so here's a spouse to meet all of your needs that you have. Marriage is for you to serve the other person. And in a marriage that works well, the husband is serving the wife, the wife is serving the husband. The, the marriage reflects the gospel because we realize that this is for God's glory. Everything we do is for the glory of God, right? Our mission statement is what? Glorify God by making disciples. Everything we do, we do it for the glory of God. And so again, what kind of picture are you portraying in your marriage? Are you looking to glorify yourself? Are you looking to get everything that you want in marriage? Or are you looking and serving your spouse in such a way where you want God to receive the glory? That people would look at your good works to see how you love one another so that they would give your Father in heaven glory. So much to talk about, so little time. So my encouragement for you this week, if you're not married, seek these things. If you're desiring marriage, what is it that you want to work on or you want to understand? Maybe it's just the understanding that, wow, this, yeah, marriage is for, to, ref, to reflect God more than anything, not to get what I want. For those of you who are in married, what, which of these would you look at and say, you know what? Like I'm, I'm missing the boat on this. Maybe you've come to realize that you're just kind of, kind of partners. Like you're just kind of business partners. You're, just, you're, you're, you're kind of going through life, but you're not really companions. You're not really friends. You don't really, you're not like, maybe you have too many other relationships outside. You'd rather hang out with your buddies, go shopping with the girls, than you would spend time with your own spouse. Like, I have the conviction that your spouse should be your best friend. There should be no other human relationship that competes. That includes your kids if you have kids. And I've seen a lot of marriages fall apart once the kids leave the house because they don't have that companionship. And the kids are gone and everything that they had hoped in have left the house. And therefore they look at this person and realize, who is this? Maybe that's what you need to work on in 
your marriage. Maybe you just need to remember that this is supposed to reflect the gospel. That you want people to look at your marriage and see Jesus, but you've been missing the boat. Maybe for the single person, you just need to remember that marriage isn't for everyone. That you're not less of a person by any stretch of the imagination if you're not married. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Marriage is for God's glory. Let's be a church that understands the meaning of it. Let's be a church that reflects the good news of Jesus to a world that desperately needs to see it happen in marriages. Let's pray. Father, when we look at what you say about marriage, there's... I feel like I just went through a whirlwind of so much information, and yet there's so much more. God, you take it seriously, and we should too. And Lord, we confess that we have, we're all broken sexually. We, we've all, in one way or another, dishonored marriage. Some small, some big. Yet, Lord, we know that there's grace and so I pray for those who may be struggling through all this. Maybe they, they are feeling the weight of condemnation. Would you just remind them there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And God, let us take what we have heard and let us go out into the world. Go home for those of us who are married with our spouses and work through these things. Not to beat each other up with, but just to grow in our understanding. Repent where we need to. Receive your forgiveness. God, give us wisdom in how to move forward. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd even prepare our hearts next week as we look at the roles of husbands and wives, Lord. Let us be a church that honors marriage. Whether we're single or married, let us be a church that gives the picture of the gospel and the way we love one another. Lord, we need your help in this. This is a daunting task, but one that you've given us your Holy Spirit for. Lord, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, grateful that you've joined us here. And if, if you find yourself in a place where you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And you're struggling through anything. I, I know we like scratched the surface. I know I might have, like, what about this? And if you have questions, I'd love to help you uh, think through those, pray over them. If you have any other issues, uh, that you just want prayer over. Our elders will be here. We'd love to pray for you, whether it has anything to do with the message or not. Uh, we are here. We want to serve you. We want to know how we can care for you. So, so don't be afraid to reach out. Next week, don't run if you don't want to hear another sermon about marriage that just leads you to pray. We're going to look at the roles of the husbands and wives. Surely we'll be challenged with that. But have a great week. Love you guys.